As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fail, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. This is the word of the Lord. With all this talk of living stones this morning, uh, I was thinking, man, it'd be cool to have the last name Livingston, right? I'm kind of jealous of those people. It would remind you every day of what you are, right? Then I thought, well, there's so many hyphenated last names these days. Maybe we could just go that route. Hi, I'm Colin Brewster Livingstone. Yeah. So may we uh, remember that we are uh, living stones, and we'll be getting into that. But after singing some of those hymns that John chose, like, I, I don't know what's left to say here, but uh, I think anyway, it's good to, uh, to review these wonderful uh, truths. Okay, we're missing a picture. There it is. Yes, everyone loves babies. It's a very natural thing, isn't it? A major part of the joy and fascination with having a baby in the family is watching the almost daily growth. Even as grandparents, uh, Lolly and I are experiencing so much delight in seeing our grandkids grow up. Not so much physically, because that's hard to notice when you are seeing them fairly regularly, but the growth in language use and the understanding of ideas, it's, it's pretty much daily. Uh, very often, Lolly will come home from a day of babysitting and report that Evelyn is saying such and such, or that Jacob can now read this word. It's thrilling to watch them grow. Is that Evelyn sort of agreeing with me over there? Sweet. Spiritual new birth and spiritual growth into maturity are no different. Growth is the objective. Maturity is the goal. And whether we're talking about physical, emotional, intellectual, or spiritual life, this is the truth. Last week, we heard about babies craving milk. We heard about growing through loving the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, and adopting God's perspective on things. This week, as we continue in 1 Peter 2, we will see Peter setting up the context, the context, and describing the foundation for spiritual growth, for growth into Christian maturity. Before I read the passage again, I'd like to just share a couple of insights that I, I kind of noticed in, um, in studying uh, this, this chapter and in general, one Peter. The first thing that, uh, that I noticed was, and it struck me, was Peter's style. 
we've studied Paul uh, in the past year when we looked at the book of Ephesians, but I've noticed that Peter's style is quite different from Paul's. Remember, Paul, in his books, generally, he will spend multiple chapters uh, on doctrine, on teaching, and then he will go on and spend the, the latter chapters in the book on application. Peter's quite different. What Peter seems to do is he will give a, a, a number of verses or a, maybe a part of a chapter on teaching in his letters and then follow those verses with a very quick uh, application. The other thing I found interesting in, in thinking about this book was if we examine Peter's sermons in the book of Acts, uh, you will find that the content of his letters and the content of his sermons, they just mesh perfectly. There are themes that are repeated both in his letters and in those sermons from the Acts. So I think we can draw from that a, a very solid, firm conclusion that the author of this, these letters is the same man that we see preaching in the book of Acts. Let's just read through our verses one more, one more time. We can never get too much of the beautiful word of God. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now let's jump back to verse four once again. As you come to him. This is an interesting way to start. I believe Peter considers most of his readers to be people who have tasted the goodness of God and are enjoying the salvation God provided through Jesus. But the wording he uses here begs a question, a very important question. So let me ask it. Have you come to him? Have you come to Jesus, the one we call the living stone here? Studying the rest of this passage is meaningless if you have not come to him. So what's your answer? In Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus invites us all to come to him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 7, 37 and 38, we read, On the last day of, and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Have you done that? Have you come to Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, well, I was brought up in a Christian family, or I've gone to church all my life, but that's not the question. The question is, have you come to Jesus? Have you made a personal choice, a personal decision? Have you stepped out in faith and said to the Lord Jesus in prayer, Lord, I come to you for forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for taking the punishment my sins deserved by dying on the cross. I come to you for a new life. Come and live in me by your spirit. And please change me from the inside out to become more and more like you each day. We needed to start there. We needed to ask that because of the next words we see here. Rejected by humans. The reality of life in Peter's day and in our day today is that Jesus is rejected. He's not loved by everyone. These days, being a person of strong Christian convictions is more often than not counted as a detriment instead of an asset. The so-called progressive minds of today consider people of faith as backward, bigoted, and ignorant. In Peter's day, and in 2023, Jesus is rejected. Culture changes. Culture follows trends and fads. But truth is truth. It never changes. God never changes. So how does God see Jesus, the living stone? To God, he is precious. Precious. If you've ever read The Lord of the Rings or even seen the movie, you know the word precious. In that story, the creature Gollum was totally consumed by, by devotion to the ring, his precious. Jesus is precious to God. He's cherished and treasured by God. I can't help but think, that with these words, Peter is reliving a glorious moment in the time he personally spent with Jesus. The story is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. I'm sure you'll remember it. Jesus led three of his disciples, James, Peter, James, and John, high up a mountain. And there, right before their eyes... They saw the man, Jesus, transfigured into the glorious, majestic, dazzling Lord of the universe. Matthew describes it like this. His face 
shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then moments later, we read Peter experienced this. A bright cloud covered them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. Naturally, this experience had a huge impact on Peter's life and ministry. And it's interesting to note, as I mentioned earlier, about those sermons in Acts. Again and again, Peter underlines the contrast between how people mistreated and rejected Jesus and how God honors Jesus and exalts him. Peter is clearly writing all this from personal knowledge. He's writing as an eyewitness. Jesus is chosen by God and precious to him. Basically, as I said, there is nothing new under the sun. Jesus was rejected by people in Peter's day, and Jesus is rejected by people today, but always and forever, he is cherished by his father. Now, to prove this point, Jesus, uh, that Jesus is rejected by people and loved by God, Peter kind of goes back to the Old Testament and finds uh, support for this idea. Now, on one side, I kind of find it interesting that Peter talks a lot about stones here. And maybe it's something to do with his name, because the name Peter means stone. The fact is, though, that Jesus is the one who started it all. Jesus himself quoted verses about the cornerstone from the book of Psalms. And he claimed, he announced that those verses were predicting what would happen to him. It's recorded in Matthew 21. Jesus was talking to the Jewish leaders of his day, and he quoted this psalm we've already seen numerous times this morning, Psalm 118.22, where it refers to that stone that was rejected becoming the cornerstone, and he compares that to himself. And it's interesting to read that both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter follow suit in their writing and preaching and describe Jesus as Jesus had as the stone the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone. Furthermore, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, both Peter and Paul also apply this passage about stones to the writings of Isaiah and apply these writings to Jesus. And we're going to look at those in a minute. But the biggest takeaway of this topic both in the letters of Peter and Paul, is this amazing revelation that Jesus is the cornerstone in the foundation of the New Testament church. And that's where we're going. But first, let's let Peter guide us through a short Bible study on the topics of the cornerstone and the stone that makes people fall. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, 
a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We might say that Peter begins with God's view. He quotes Isaiah 28, 16, and if you go back to Isaiah, it actually begins this way. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. So God is the one saying this. God is the one speaking. God is the one who's going to lay down that stone. Notice that it doesn't say, and the one who trusts in it. This is my English teacher stuff coming out. Okay, but the one who trusts in him. God was speaking, always was speaking about a person, a person who would be like a cornerstone. God is promising to establish a very special person among his people, a chosen one, a precious one, one who would be a foundation, a standard template, as it were, a template of God's will and God's way. And not only that, he would be one you could bet your life on, one you would never regret trusting, one that will never let you be ashamed before God. What a beautiful description of Jesus. I love how Peter adds these words. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. He's precious to God, and he's precious to all who have come to him by faith. How could he not be? No one else could do what he did. No one else could make peace between sinful people and a just and holy God. No one else could forgive our sins because no one else was sinless and could take our sins upon himself. No one else could understand us like he can because he walked on planet Earth. He experienced life as we do except, of course, he never sinned. No one else can walk us through life, never leaving us or forsaking us from beginning to end, because he is a living stone. He's still alive. He's a living savior. No one else can love us like he does, for he wants us to be with him for all eternity. What love. Friends, is he precious to you today. My prayer for all of us is that we daily grow in our love for our precious Savior, Jesus. Next, we have man's view from the Old Testament. And we see the references again to a stone which was rejected. And this verse again comes from Psalm 118. I think I messed up a bit here. 19, there we go. The stone, okay, the stone the builder, there it is. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, William MacDonald in his Bible commentary tells a well-known story that took place during the building of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. The stones, were the stones that were used in the building of the temple were all cut and shaped in a quarry 
outside Jerusalem. For some reason, they didn't want all the noise and confusion or something. So all the stones were cut outside the construction site. And then they were transported into Jerusalem to the temple site. There, they were sorted and selected for construction. Well, as the story goes, this odd-shaped stone arrived at the building site in Jerusalem. And when the workers saw it, they guessed it had been sent by mistake. So they set it aside. They put it on the reject pile. When the time to start building came, the construction crew and the engineers or whoever went through all the blocks and bricks that had been sent in from the quarry. But they couldn't find the cornerstone, the one stone that would set the standard and ensure stability of the building. A message was sent out to the quarry. Hey, guys, we're waiting for the cornerstone. Send it right away. We can't start without it. The answer came back. We've sent it in already. And finally, after a lot of communication and a fair bit of confusion, it turned out that the stone that had been thrown on the reject pile was the cornerstone. And when they used it, everything fit together perfectly. In quoting this passage from the Psalms, Peter again is pointing out, as Jesus himself had declared before the Jewish leaders, the rejected stone is Jesus. Just as those temple builders could not imagine that particular stone was of any use, the Jewish leaders at their time could not imagine Jesus was their Messiah. So they rejected him. And they kept looking for what they thought Messiah should be like. They were wrong. They were wrong about the stone. And because they were wrong, that stone became a stumbling block for them. And that brings us to verse 8. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So this quotation comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 8. So the context of this in Isaiah's day was that Isaiah was warning his people that the Assyrian nation was coming upon them. It was coming to attack them. And that an Assyrian invasion would sweep over them like the waters of a great flood. But there was one place they could go for shelter from this attack. And that was to God himself. For those who put their trust in God, God would become a place of shelter and a rock on which they could stand. But to those who put their trust in other powers, they would be swept away by the flood and crushed against the rock. It would become a dangerous obstacle to them, a stumbling stone, a rock that makes them fall. Peter here is applying this passage to those who rejected Jesus in his day and those who reject Jesus today. The point is very clear. Rejecting Jesus has severe consequences. The good news for all people is that there is a savior of the world. 
God loves us, and he doesn't want us to be separated from him forever. Jesus is God's chosen one, chosen to be our shelter from the storm. He's our only refuge from the flood of punishment our sins deserve before our holy and perfectly righteous God. He took our sins upon himself and died in our place. Notice again, it's a living stone because Jesus conquered death. He is alive. He rose from the grave. We serve a living Savior. Jesus is a rock on which we can stand and find firm footing. Jesus is the one we can trust to be with us today and every day and eventually bring us safely home to an eternity in the presence of God. This is the message. This is the good news that Jesus has proclaimed and that he's asking us to carry throughout the world. Come to Jesus for forgiveness, peace with God, and eternal life. Those who obey the message, who accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord, will never be put to shame. Those who disobey the message, who reject the precious Savior God has chosen and sent, they will stumble and fall. And you don't want that. Having established without any doubt the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone referred to in the scriptures and that everything they predict about him is true, Peter now takes us on to this teaching about the living cornerstone. A beautiful step forward, and he's going to apply it to the New Testament church. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What a concept. What a concept. I like how this translation capitalizes the word stone when referring to Jesus as the living stone back in verse four, but when referring to each believer as a living stone, it uses the, the lower case. Jesus is the cornerstone, the one stone that sets the standard and ensures the stability of the building. Each believer is like a living stone built with and on that foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone. He is the standard, the perfect template, and the other stones are added. And as they connect with and conform to the cornerstone, the building grows to become a firm and stable structure. What a beautiful illustration of what the church is to be. If Jesus is the capital S stone, and we are all small S stones, then that tells us something very special about the church, doesn't it? We are all of equal value. Certainly, we play different roles, but in the growth of the church, every piece is important, and every piece has value. This is very different from the system Peter grew up with. So we can only conclude that this is coming from the inspiration of God's spirit. And I might add that Paul's teaching aligns perfectly with this as well. 
I love also how Peter makes it clear that this is an ongoing spiritual project. It's not finished yet. More and more people are being added and built into the church universally every day. We are being built into the church and we grow in the church. Get that? The place, the context of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is in the church. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. We're meant to be living stones functioning together to be a spiritual house. And that word house reminds us of family. It speaks of a place of shelter, a place to belong, a place of safety, the place where one grows into maturity to become a mature adult. What is a sign of maturity? Well, it's being able to overcome pride and self-centeredness. It's being able to look outside ourselves and give ourselves entirely to something bigger, something that will last beyond our limited number of days in this life. God's plan is for every believer to be a living stone built on the cornerstone, Jesus, and be made more and more like him through the challenges and joys, through the unlearning and the learning, the advances and the setbacks of worshiping, fellowshipping, and serving Christ together as brothers and sisters in the church. That is something to find purpose in. That is something to belong to. And I think you get it. It's a lot more than showing up on 10 at 10.30 on Sunday, isn't it? Peter now moves on and changes the metaphor from the spiritual house to something a little different. He tells us that each one of us is a living stone, but we are also priests. We are priests, not offering animal sacrifices like in the Old Testament, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. A holy priesthood. Priesthood was no longer restricted to that special group of people. Everyone is a priest. We're gonna, I imagine we're going to get into this more next week. We leave that up to John. But I want to mention just one important spiritual sacrifice that we are able to offer God as New Testament believers. I do find it a little bit odd that Peter doesn't elaborate. He doesn't tell us openly what the spiritual sacrifices we are that we are to be offering. But I'm wondering, perhaps by the time he was writing this, Paul's teaching on the subject was well known. I believe Paul's letter to the Romans was written maybe 10 years before Peter wrote this letter. So maybe, I'm not positive, but maybe this is what he had in mind. And I say this again because of Peter's choice of words here. He, he were holy priests, holy priesthood. And then down in verse 11, he's going to challenge us as an application of his, his, uh, his um, teaching here to abstain from sinful desires. So let's now move on from the idea of from living stones to living sacrifices. 
And that takes us to a very familiar verse in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So perhaps our first question here is, what does Paul mean by using the word bodies? Is he referring to our complete person? Or is he specifically talking about our physical bodies? Well, I'm actually convinced he is talking about the physical body here. And let me show you why. If we look through the book of Romans, we see Paul extensively talking about the actual physical body. Look at chapter 6. Every reference there to body is, or flesh is referring to physical. In Romans chapter 8, he clearly teaches that our salvation through faith in Christ includes our physical bodies. We wait eagerly, he writes, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are part of it. Our bodies are going to be raised. Our bodies are going to be with us through eternity, but they'll be different. They'll be new, like Jesus' resurrection body. So this challenge to offer our physical bodies to God is a way to counteract the, the tendency our bodies have to want to rule over us. So what does this mean in a practical, uh, a practical way of application? Another way to understand it, as we if we present our bodies to God, is to be presenting our bodies as a slave to God. We want our lives completely and our bodies completely at God's disposal. We choose to live for him. Now, again, this idea of a living sacrifice is kind of a contradictory term, isn't it? Sacrifices are sacrificed. They die. A living sacrifice continues to live, yet it continues to be a sacrifice. As the living continues, the sacrificing also goes on and on. So when Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, he means that this is to be a perpetual sacrifice. It's not a one-time thing. It's a thing that we need to do daily, moment by moment, offering our bodies to God, not living for ourselves as slave to our, our desires, but worshipful, living for God. He makes a comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament offerings with the next phrase, holy and pleasing to God. The animals offered as sacrifices in the Old Testament, you'll remember, could not be sickly animals. They could not be missing some, uh, a leg or, or in some other way be inferior offerings. They had to be without blemish. In the same way, Paul's reminding us that we need to stay away from anything that would make us an unworthy offering as we offer ourselves to God. It says here, too, that we're to be that with pure body, we are to offer ourselves as a pure sacrifice, for this is pleasing to God. Now, we all know how good a barbecue smells, right? For the vegetarians among us, uh, we know how good baking bread smells, right? Baked bread smells wonderful. The aroma is just so, so nice. And these must be very similar 
uh, or very familiar aromas to the people in the Old Testament days, as constantly there were offerings being offered in the tabernacle and later on in the temple, just continual smell of baked bread, the grain offerings of, of animal sacrifices, the meat offerings, and it must have smelled amazing. But it's saying that God was pleased. Now, God doesn't smell things. He doesn't have uh, nostrils. So how were these things pleasing to God? They were pleasing to God in that God was seeing his people express their worship in the way he asked them to express it. Obedience. And so Paul is reminding us here is that New Testament worship that is pleasing to God involves keeping our bodies pure and offering them to God to live for him on a continual basis. That is pleasing to God. So again, let's get a little bit more practical as to this. What are some things that practical steps we can take and just have these things in our mind that we present healthy, well-cared-for bodies to God? Well, we can monitor the things that we feed our minds and our bodies. We should regard our bodies as not our own to use for our own selfish purposes. And here are just uh, some challenges about what a living sacrifice can look like. Living sacrifices will turn their eyes away from looking at evil or impure things. Living sacrifices will keep their tongues from filth, insults, lies, or gossip. Living sacrifices will keep their ears from listening to evil. Living sacrifices will keep their hands from doing evil and using them to do good. Living sacrifices will keep their feet from going the way of evil and stay in the way of good. TGC, we are living stones connected to and being conformed to the cornerstone, Jesus. We are a holy priesthood. So let's daily offer our bodies to God to be used for his glory. And by God's grace and the Spirit's filling, may we truly grow into maturity to reflect our Savior and be bright lights in the darkness of our city and world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's so relevant in 2023. And we say to you, Lord Jesus, you are our cornerstone. Keep us connected, Lord Jesus. Keep us filled and make us more and more like you. You deserve more love for more people. You deserve to be precious in the hearts and lives and minds of many more. Use us, we pray, for your namesake. Amen.